This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in again to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. Let me ask you, does God need blood in order to forgive sins? I say no to that question, but I know that uh, when I answer that question that way, a lot of people who have studied scripture and theology get a little nervous because there are verses in the Bible which seem to indicate that God does need blood sacrifice in order to forgive sins. We're going to look at one of the most famous verses uh, that seems to say that out of the book of Hebrews today, Hebrews 9.22. So uh, I'll be showing you 10 reasons why Hebrews 9.22 does not teach that God requires blood sacrifice. So we'll, go be, we'll be going through those fairly fast. You might want to take some notes. There is a link in the show notes so that you can go follow along with me if you want. All 10 of these are on my website at redeeminggod.com. Just search uh, for Hebrews 9.22 on Google and you can find it that way also. Uh, and uh, so we'll be going through fairly fast. Also, if you prefer a more polished version of these, uh, I do have an explanation of Hebrews 9.22 in my book, The Atonement of God, and then also another, a, a different version of an, that explanation of Hebrews 9.22 in my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. So uh, you can get both of those available on Amazon. All right, so I'm not going to waste any more time with the introduction here. We've got a long podcast episode for you, and I want to save most of the time for explanation of Hebrews 9.22. So let's just dive right in. All right, so uh, when we talk about the blood of Jesus and whether or not he, God needs blood in order to forgive sins, lots of people like to quote Hebrews 9.22, which of course is a quote of Leviticus 17.11, which says this, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Case closed. <laughs> uh, if there's no shedding of blood, then there's no forgiveness of sin. So, you know, God says it. I believe it. That settles it. Uh, why are we even having this discussion? <laughs> Except, all right, as soon as you start to actually dig into what the author of Hebrews is saying, it's not quite as neat and tidy as some of us have been led to believe. All right? Uh, think about it, just forget forget Hebrews 9.22 for a second, and just think about it from a practical perspective, saying you in your life, all right? If your neighbor comes over and, I don't know, bashes your car somehow, it's an accident, uh, but he, he hits your car on accident with a Frisbee, I did that once, by the way, to my neighbor, um, and I go over and I say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Is he going to say, I will forgive you if you let me kill your cat. Now, we have three cats, so I'd still have two. <laughs> but am I going to let him do that? No. And in fact, is he going to ask me? I can't forgive you until I kill something. What kind of forgiveness is that, right? And I've been talking about this a little bit on my podcast as well. Forgiveness, by definition, needs to be freely forgiven. If I tell him, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I will pay to have it fixed, and then he says, no, 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 I forgive you. It's okay. 
all right? By forgiving me, he is saying, you don't need to pay for it, right? On the other hand, if I do go ahead and pay for it, then no forgiveness is extended. If, if uh, a judge condemns an inmate, uh, a criminal, to 20 years in prison, and then that, that inmate, that criminal, he serves his 20 years in prison, he pays his debt to society, we sometimes like to call it, can the judge, after that prisoner has served his 20 years, can the judge show up as this guy gets set out the prison doors and tell him, boy, now that you've served your 20 years, I forgive you. No, he can't say that because the guy just served his 20 years. He paid for his crime. You can either pay for the crime or you can be forgiven, okay? So, uh, and you can just think of a lot more examples like this from life. Uh, forgiveness and payment for sin are mutually exclusive, all right? It's just logical, and that's the way it works in, in real life as well. So if that's the case, then why, when we come to Scripture, does it seem in various places that God needs payment, blood payment, in order to forgive? Now, on the other hand, we do have various places in the Bible where it says God freely forgives. For example, in Colossians 3.13. All right, and, and so we just we get all these all these questions, and and one verse seems to contradict another verse, um, you know. And then even when it comes to okay, let's just say you know, let's just assume for a moment, benefit of the doubt that God does need blood. You ever wondered why blood? I mean, what is it with blood? Is God some sort of sicko monster that? He needs blood to be shed? Has he got some sort of bloodlust that, that, I mean, okay, well, God is God. He can do what he wants. Okay, let's assume that. If God is God and he can do what he wants, and I agree with that, then why blood? Why couldn't it have been, I don't know, hair? I have long hair. Hey, God, I'm sorry. Okay, cut off your hair. All right, I'll do it. Right? Why did he pick blood? If he needs to be paid in some way, why not pick, you know, tears or something? spit. We could all spit into a cup. I don't know. I'm just saying, if it's a bodily fluid, all right, we, we shouldn't go there. <laughs> um, there's other bodily fluids. Anyway, you get the point. Why blood? It's just, as soon as you start to think about this idea that God needs blood sacrifice before he can extend forgiveness, all of a sudden, all sorts of problems and holes and logical faults, all sorts of things start to come along the way. And so I would say that rather than just ignoring all of those questions, you know, how come God's forgiveness seems to be lesser form than ours? Or, you know, and why blood? What's the deal with blood? Maybe it would be better to reconsider some of these passages that seem to teach that God requires blood. And if we look at them in context, we discover that God doesn't require blood after all. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. Obviously, I can't look at every verse tonight. I've looked at a few in previous podcast episodes. I think we're going to look at one more next week, and then we'll move on to another topic and some other verses. All right? So tonight we're just going to look, or today we're in this podcast episode, we're just going to look at Hebrews 9.22. Now, why blood? Again, okay, a lot of people say, well, the life is in the blood. That's what we read from Leviticus 17.11. Well, again, why does God need death in order to forgive somebody? What's the connection between sin and killing somebody, all right? In order for God, what's the deal with God that in order for him to forgive somebody, he needs to kill somebody or he needs to have somebody be killed? Doesn't that just seem strange and weird? And 
a little backwards, especially since, as we read all over the place in Scripture, God is a God of life, not death. He wants people to live, not die. And so if that's the case, then why is God saying, well, in order to live, you got to kill? It's just, again, it just doesn't make any sense. All right? So here's what I think. And here's what I believe Scripture supports when you study the various passages in their context, their historical, cultural, grammatical context, the way I was taught to do in seminary. All right? Bottom line principle is God does not want blood. God wants life. All right? And Scripture reveals that it is we, humans, who want blood. It's we who cry out for blood. It's we who demand blood. It's we who want blood. That sort of makes us feel bad. And so what we do is we then say, well, it's not me who wants blood. It's God who wants it. And we blame our bloodlust on God. All right? And so this whole idea, and it's not just in uh, the, the Bible that we see this, but in all of the various world religions. This is what we see in all the religions, which sort of shows us that this is what's going on. All over the place, we see that for God to forgive you, you need to make some sort of sacrifice. you got to kill your chicken or your goat or your cow or, in really serious cases, your virgin daughter. Or, you know, in some cases, because those people over there have offended our God so much, we need to go annihilate them and wipe them off the face of the earth, okay? And ultimately, what it comes down to is this, uh, this lust for blood is throughout all time, around all the world— uh, in every culture and in every religion, and it comes from us, not from God. The idea that God wants blood is really a non-Christian idea that we, many Christians, have brought into Christianity and said, oh yeah, yeah, that's true, when really it's not true. All right, so let's look at Hebrews 9.22 with sort of this I, general questions, this background in mind, and try to understand why Hebrews 9.22 does not teach that God wants blood sacrifice. All right, so number one, there's 10 reasons. Number one, uh, Hebrews 9.22 is, uh, the author of Hebrews, is contrasting Jesus with Moses, all right? Uh, and, and specifically the Mosaic law, uh, the, the, the sacrificial system part of the Mosaic law, all right? The author is contrasting the sacrificial system of the Mosaic law with what Jesus accomplished on his death on the cross. And notice it's a contrast. He's saying the Mosaic law did this, but Jesus did something different. All right, and, and we see this, for example, you might want to have your Bibles out if, if, um, if that's going to be helpful for you. But we see this by, uh, back in the context, looking at Hebrews 9.15, which is really sort of the opening statement in this section that leads to Hebrews 9.22. And back there, the author writes about the redemption of, of the transgressions. All right, now if you know any Hebrew, you know that the normal word for sin is hamartia. But guess what? That is not the word used for transgressions here, which is often another word for sin. Uh, the word used here is parabeno. All right, uh, it, it means uh, to, to overstep or to go beyond the boundaries. Uh, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says that parabeno is closely connected with sin in the New Testament, but, okay, and this is important, primarily in the sense of using human tradition to disobey the law of God 
while claiming to fulfill the law of God. Isn't that interesting? Parabeno is a specific type of sin. It's when you claim, I'm doing God's will. But really what you're doing is you're following your human tradition to disobey God's will. (laughs) And I think that this is a sin we all commit all the time. We follow our culture and our traditions and we say, I'm doing God's will. But really, we're following the traditions of man and not the law of God, the, the spirit of the law, the intent and purpose of the law. All the while thinking we are obeying the law. This is what Jesus struggled with the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day, about over and over and over and over in the Gospels. Okay, so this is, uh, anyway, this is what the author of Hebrews is talking about there in Hebrews 9.15. He uses this word to talk about this. All right, and he's saying Jesus came to rescue, redeem, buy us back from that way of living, from thinking we were obeying the law of God, but actually doing the opposite and instead obeying, following human traditions and human culture. So, uh, first idea is, is uh, in this contrast, what Jesus did, what the law did, especially the sacrifices of the law, Jesus came to redeem us from the sin of misusing the law, of twisting it upside down and turning it around, okay? That's number one. Very important to understand the context that the author of Hebrews is talking about here as he begins this discussion of Hebrews 9.22. I say he, but we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Wouldn't it be interesting if Hebrews, he, the book of Hebrews was written by a woman? Um, and that's why there's no name attached to it, because back then people didn't look very fondly on that. Uh, and some people today don't either. Anyway, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, so anyway, I will try to say the author of Hebrews, but I might mess up sometimes and say he, even though we don't know. I don't think it was Paul. All right, number two. Hebrews 9.22 says there is purification and forgiveness without blood. All right, it's important to note here, the author pretty adamantly states that there is purification and forgiveness apart from the shedding of blood. Well, how do we see that? The author says, almost all things are purified with blood. All right, if you go back and read the Levitical law, Uh, you'll see that uh, purification and forgiveness was extended under a variety of circumstances. You could purify things with the washing of water, Leviticus 15 and Leviticus 17. You could purify things with the anointing of oil, Leviticus 14. You could burn flour, Leviticus 5. You could give money, Exodus 30. You could release an animal into the wild, Leviticus 16. Okay, and so there are various ways of purifying and, and performing these offerings and sacrifices, okay? Not just with the shedding of the blood. That's why the author says almost all things are purified with blood. Uh, by the way, just as a side note, did you know that when it comes to intentional sin, sin that you do fully knowing that it's sinful, did you know there is no offering of any kind? in the Levitical law for that type of sin. The sin offerings, the guilt offerings, all of those are for unintentional sin only, sins of ignorance. Let me ask you, you ever committed an intentional sin? I know this is wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. Of course you have, if you're honest. (laughs) I have, all right? Uh, And and so what do we do? Oh no, there's no sacrifices for that. There's no, you know, if we were living back under the law, you know what? The reason is because 
sacrificial system was never intended to buy or purchase forgiveness of sins for us from God. Forgiveness of sins, as I mentioned in my podcast last couple of weeks, has always been freely extended by God to all your sins, past, present, and future, to all people around the world. Okay, so and by the way, I'm not a universalist. Just I, I, I get that every every week. So we'll have that discussion. If you're in my discipleship group, in fact, we'll be having that discussion this coming Monday. So make sure you join us in our live Facebook uh, chat in, inside the discipleship group. Anyway, uh, so the second point I got to go faster here. Uh, the second point is that some things can be purified without blood. You don't need blood for purification. All right, moving on then. Number three. Uh, Hebrews 9.22 is not about sin, but about the covenant, all right? Uh, it's, it's um, of course, this requires even further modification, all right? A, a, a quick reading of the law reveals that most things, that the author, said, the author of Hebrews says almost all things are purified with blood, but really, you, you go and read Leviticus, and it's actually, well, most things don't require blood, all right? So what does the author mean? Well, the context here is uh, that the author is talking about when he says almost all things are purified by blood. He's not talking about sin, but he's specifically talking about the initiation of the covenant. All right? Uh, The author has in mind the tabernacle and the religious items within the tabernacle. In fact, that's what he's talking about in the immediately preceding verse, Hebrews 9.21. All right, there was that they made this tabernacle— uh, that they were going to carry with them around in the wilderness. And at the initial dedication ceremony, they uh, purified many of the items in the tabernacle with blood. All right, so that's an important contextual key here. The author of Hebrews isn't talking about sin itself, how to receive forgiveness of sins, but is instead referring to how the covenant, and especially the tabernacle, was purified and prepared and initiated by blood. So we're not dealing with sin. We're dealing with this tent and the items in the tent and the covenant. Okay, not, not sinful, just purification. So that's why he says almost all things. Well, not all sinful things, but almost all of the items of the tabernacle. Okay, so that's number three. Number four, let's, let's keep moving. Hebrews 9.22 says that the shedding of blood came from the law. All right, so the, the author of Hebrews specifically states where the instruction about offerings of blood came from. And notice he doesn't say, very, very careful to notice this, he doesn't say, and God commanded that all things be purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. No. Hebrews 9.22 specifically states that these things are according to the law. All right, now, if you believe in inspiration of Scripture and inerrancy of Scripture like I do, or something similar to how I believe it, then, you know, you don't see any real big difference between the law and God, all right? Because God inspired it, God gave it, therefore the law is God's word. So, you know, it's a minor little, minor little point here. But um, the thing is, it's very interesting, because if you believe, as I do, that all Scripture is inspired and inerrant, well, guess what? There are other verses in the Bible which... God inspired, right? Which says that God never wanted or commanded or gave the sacrificial rituals in the first place. He didn't want them. He didn't need them. They aren't pleasing to him. Jeremiah 7, Amos 5, Micah 6, three of these passages. 
Okay, so what do you do with those? God gave the law, but then later he says, you know what, I never wanted those. They aren't pleasing to me. I never commanded you to do that. I don't, you know, how are you going to make sense of that if you believe in inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture? No, I do believe in inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, and I do have a way of making sense of what's happening there, and I do try to talk a bit about that in my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, which has a whole section on the law. Uh, and, and so, um, and I'm, I'm writing a book right now, which will try to deal with this even more in the future. Uh, but uh, uh, I'll, uh, that, t- t- to discuss inspiration and inerrancy and how to fit all these, these verses out of the prophets together with the law of Moses and all that, that's going to take us down a whole nother rabbit trail, and I'm not ready to go there tonight. So let's just move on to number five, okay? Uh, but it's something to note, okay? It's, this is the law, which we could say came from Moses, the mediator of Moses, and somehow it's not exactly what God wanted, desired, or commanded. And that's something we have to struggle with and deal with. Anyway, I'm just throwing that out there just so you recognize this. This is not exactly God's will, what God wants. All right, number five then. Very, We're getting more important here as we go along. Number five, the shedding of blood never brought forgiveness. All right? Uh, notice that the author of Hebrews uh, is showing that the Mosaic Covenant, with all of its bloody sacrifices, and I'm not denying that the sacrificial system for the Mosaic Law wasn't filled with lots of bloody sacrifices. It was. But notice the author of Hebrews says that all of these sacrifices never accomplished what they were promised to. Okay? It's like a politician makes, making a bunch of promises and then not keeping them. Well, that's what the law of Moses did and the sacrificial system did. The author of Hebrews points out, Hebrews 10.4, right after this verse we're looking at, that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All right? But this is what the law, this is what the law promised to be able to do. But the author of Hebrews says it never could and it never did. The simple fact, author Hebrews says, that you had to keep sacrificing these animals over and over and over proves that it could not deliver. It did not deliver what was promised. So nobody, listen very carefully, nobody was ever forgiven through the blood of sacrifice. So what the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 10.4, Blood of bulls and goats couldn't forgive anybody for their sins, could not take away sins. All right? So, according to the author of Hebrews, although the law did require blood sacrifice, blood does not provide forgiveness because the law didn't work. All right? Number six, then. Getting even more important. Very, very key here. Hebrews 9.22 is not about the forgiveness of sins. I don't know if you picked it up, but when I first quoted Hebrews 9.22 at the beginning of this study, I intentionally misquoted it. Yes, I misquoted scripture. You can accuse me of that. I'm guilty as charged. Okay? I quoted Hebrews 9.22 as saying, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In fact, if you have some certain Bible translations, you might say, that's not a misquote. That's what my Bible says. Well, guess what? (laughs) Your Bible translation also is wrong, misquoting the Greek. All right. In the Greek, Hebrews 9.22 does not include those final two words. What two words? The words of sins. Hebrews 9.22 says nothing about sin. It does not contain the word sin. 
Okay, yes, sin is mentioned in Hebrews 9, 26, 27, and 28. But you go down and look down there, and it is in reference to the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, and so the first time the author references sin in connection with the sacrificial blood of the Mosaic Covenant is in Hebrews 10, 4. And uh, as we've just seen, uh, the only connection between sin and blood is that uh, sin cannot, you know, blood cannot take away, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. So anyway, um, what, what does this have to do with Hebrews 9, 22? All right. Again, it goes back to what we learned earlier. This is not about sin at all. The author of Hebrews is talking about the tabernacle and the vessels and the instruments when Moses inaugurated the first covenant. All right. I sometimes think we, mo- we modern Western Christians were so infatuated with sin, trying to figure out who's sinned and what sin is the most serious sin, who's the worst sinners, they're terrible sinners. We accuse people of sin, condemn sin, point out sin in other people. We're so infatuated with sin. We sort of have these sin-colored glasses when we read the Bible, and we see sin everywhere when we're reading the Bible. So we come to a verse like this, uh, where in the Greek, it's not talking about sin. We're, oh, well, blood is mentioned, so it must be about sin. No, sin is not mentioned, sin is not here, sin is not even in Hebrews 9.22, okay? The truth, of the, the truth of the matter is, this might come as a shock to some of you, God is not nearly as concerned with sin as we are. What? What? Heresy! <laughs> Look, uh, I wrote a lot about this in my blog. In fact, I have a, I think I have a blog post co- titled, uh, Sin is Not That Big of a Deal to God. And I know, I know, I know, because of modern Western Christianity infatuation with sin, uh, you know, that sounds like the, the most terrible heresy you could ever hear. But listen, listen, this is what I try to explain on my blog. Before the majesty of God's holiness and love, all the sin of the world is little more than an annoying flea jumping around on the ground by his foot. Okay, that's how significant sin is to God. It's just not that big of a deal. It's like sin, it's a flea. It's nothing. Okay, it's a drop of water on the face of the sun of God's glory. Okay, and if you think sin is this big giant affront to God's holiness, then you have a very poor and weak view of God's holiness. You are magnifying sin way beyond anything it really is. Now, is sin a big deal? Yeah, to us, you want to know why there are Bible verses all over the place about not sinning? Okay, you want to know why? Yes, the Bible contains, I'll agree, the Bible contains lots of instructions about not sinning. You want to know why? It's not because God is all that concerned about it. What he's concerned about is you and me. And he loves you. And he loves me. And you want to know what? He doesn't like to see us sin because sin hurts us. He gets hurt because we get hurt. Sin doesn't hurt him. It hurts us. And since he loves us, he doesn't want to see us get hurt. If you have a loved one, as you most likely do, you know how that is. Okay? So, uh, anyway, something to think about with sin. Again, I went off on a little rabbit trail there, but um, sin is just not that big of a deal to God. And Hebrews 9.22 isn't about sin, so don't try to read it into the text. Moving, Moving along. Number seven. Okay, it's not about sin. Guess what? Hebrews 9.22 is also not even about forgiveness. But Jeremy, it's there in the verse. <laughs> yeah, just like sin. And we just saw it's not there. Okay, well, the word forgiveness is there, but guess what? 
Uh, again, there are two words for forgiveness in the Bible. I've talked about this the last several podcast episodes. It's very, very important to understand this distinction. In fact, we'll see it again next week when we go and look at uh, 1 John 1, uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10. All right, so join us there. Another, uh, the, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, okay? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Okay, we'll be talking about that next week. But again, there's two words for forgiveness in the Bible. Um, and uh, the, the one here... I'm not going to re-go through all of that, re-summarize all of that. You'll have to go listen to some of the previous podcast episodes or look, in, look up the uh, forgiveness studies on my website. The word that the author uses here is the Greek word aphasis, all right? And it doesn't mean forgiveness the way we modern English-speaking people think about forgiveness. The word aphasis is something closer to deliverance or release, Okay, it has in mind a picture of uh, someone who is enslaved. They're in chains, and right, they're cuffed up, chained to the wall. All right, and someone comes along with a key and unlocks them from their chains and sets them free. All right, and so the way this works in Scripture is God freely forgives everybody of all their sins, past, present, future, everybody. Okay, this is the free forgiveness, charizomai forgiveness, but that doesn't set us free. To be set free from our addiction and the destructive consequences of sin, we need to do things. Repent, confess, change our life, okay? Develop new habits, all right? Uh, live in our relationships in a different way, okay? Avoid sin and other sorts of things, all right? So there's all of these conditions attached to a faces forgiveness. But as we fulfill those conditions, we will be set free. We will break free from the bondage and chains of sin. We will stop suffering the consequences, the devastating and destructive consequences of sin in our life. All right? So, uh, you know, sin injects us with toxins, which further enslaves us to sin. And God comes along and says, oh, please don't do that. I am in pain because of how much you are in pain. And that hurts me, he says. I'm hurting because you're hurting. So let me help set you free. Right? And that is what Hebrews 9.22 is talking about as well. It's not about being forgiven for your sins. It's about being set free. All right, now again, though, remember, often a phasis is used in reference to sin, but not here in Hebrews 9.22. Again, we're talking about the covenant. We're talking about the tabernacle. So how did blood set the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, free? What were they set free from? How were they released? Well, there's two ways, and this is point eight and nine. The first way, the first thing that is released or set free with the shedding of blood in Hebrews 9.22 is the covenant itself. All right, this is the eighth point. The release of Hebrews 9.22, this forgiveness, aphasis, is a release of the covenant. I want you to think of the covenant uh, as a last will and testament. Okay, I have a will. Uh, my my wife and I went down to a lawyer and um, and signed on the dotted line and made a will so that when you know if we go on a plane trip, God forbid, and both of us crash in a fiery ball, everything goes to our daughters, right? And 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 so it's just a will. That's what a will is. I want you to think of the Mosaic Covenant as a will. Now, how does a will go into effect? Well, <laughs> we got to die. Uh, before a last will, before a last will and testament can go into effect, the one who made it has to die. 
All right, and in fact, this is exactly what the author of Hebrews is talking about. Go back and look at Hebrews 9.16, right in the context here. God makes a will to, with the nation of Israel. And he says, when I die, here's what's going to happen. But there's a problem with that. God's eternal. He doesn't die. So, what did they do? Moses symbolized the death of God through calves and the the blood of of goats and bulls. And in so doing, released the terms of the will. Okay? Um, So it has nothing whatsoever to do with sin. This is about enacting, inaugurating, initiating the terms of God's last will and testament. Now, did God really die? No, through the blood of bulls and goats, he didn't. Okay? He did in Jesus, which then helps us understand the new covenant. Again, another rabbit trail I'm not going to go down tonight in this podcast episode. Okay? Bottom line is, though, the blood of bulls and goats is not about sin. In this case, it was a release of the covenant. That's what the Ephesus. It was a release of the terms of the covenant. Uh, for the, the ways uh, for the people to uh, receive the benefits and blessings that were inherent in God's covenant. All right, moving on along. Number nine. Um, the second thing that was released, this was the people. All right? Uh, it's not just the covenant. Uh, remember, the people of Israel at this time, or right prior to this anyway, had been slaves in Egypt. And so they needed to be delivered and redeemed from captivity in Egypt. Now, from a purely legal standpoint, all right, back in that day, in fact, even in the terrible history of our own country, the masters own the slaves. And if the slaves leave, the master doesn't say, shrug, you know, doesn't shrug his shoulder and say, well, they got away. I guess they're free. No, the master wants them back. Okay. And so he goes and chases after them. The only way then, and in the sad history of our own country, for a slave to literally be set free is for the slave to die, basically. All right. And so this redemption, again, it was symbolic, uh, this, uh, this buying them back out of slavery, um, but it was an identification of them dying. It was sort of symbolic of them uh, dying and being raised again to a new life, a new life of liberty and freedom from slavery. Okay, and that's why in Hebrews 9.19, again, just a few verses previous, why the author of Hebrews talks about them being sprinkled with blood and water. Okay, not just on the book of the covenant, but also on the people. Okay, the covenant is released, and now the people are released. It's all symbolic death, okay? But it symbolizes them being born again into a new family, right? And as members of the new family, they had new household rules to live by, and that then explain some of the laws of the Mosaic Covenant. All right, moving along. Tenth and finally then, look, Hebrews 9.22 needs to be read in the entire context of Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10. And when we do that, we see what Hebrews 9.22 is talking about. And it's basically everything we've just read, everything we just talked about in the previous nine points. All right? Um, we often get confused the rest of Hebrews 9 and on into Hebrews 10 because there's so many references to the sacrifice or offerings of Jesus Christ for sin. Uh, but, but if you remember some of the things we've talked about, that the, the blood of the calves and the goats was, was sprinkled over the tabernacle and its instruments, and then the blood of the covenant, and then the people, and what all that symbolized, all right, then it's, we see it's not about sin at all. And, and once we see that, then we begin to see, well, if that's what it meant initially, 
with this this event that the author of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 9, then that starts to open us open up our eyes to what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross as well. And I'm not going to get into this whole thing, but the author of Hebrews does. He goes on and starts comparing and contrasting uh, Moses and the sacrificial system of the law with Jesus and what he did on the cross and, and how they're similar and also how they're different and what Jesus accomplished versus what the... Okay, and it goes... And again, we don't have time. You saw how much I've spent time I've spent on just one verse. To go and cover two chapters uh, would, take, would take way too much time. The bottom line is, Jesus did not die to secure for us forgiveness of, forgiveness of sins from God. There's not a verse in the Bible that teaches that. Okay, and we've just shown 10 reasons why Hebrews 9.22 doesn't teach that. And so you might say, yeah, but what about this other verse? Well, look, we could go over and talk about some of those other verses, but we just don't have time tonight. But I have similar, you, you study it in the original, uh, cultural, historical, grammatical contexts, all right, in light of all the rest of Scripture, and there are similar explanations for all those other passages in the Bible as well. God has never wanted or needed blood sacrifice. The, the, the blood of bulls and goats was never to appease the wrath of God towards evil sinners. All right? And the blood of Jesus wasn't for that purpose either. Jesus did not die for God because of sin. Yes, Jesus died for sin. I will argue that all day long. But he didn't die for God because of sin. God wasn't demanding, before I can forgive all those evil sinners, I need blood. Okay. In fact, uh, earlier in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, it's the devil that demands death and blood. That's Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Hmm. And yet, many of us Christians say it's God who demands death, and blood. Who is it that we're worshiping when we say God wants blood and God wants death? Look, by dying, Jesus canceled the debt of sin so that the devil could no longer have any claim upon us, so that we were set free from slavery to sin and death, and yes, the devil, Right? And, and so that in Jesus, all have died and been raised to new life in Jesus. We're liberated and redeemed from our slavery to sin, death, and the devil. Just like the Israelites were. Liberated and redeemed from slavery to Pharaoh. Raised to a new life in the family of God. So that all people in Jesus Christ can live a new life as well. So this is the basic meaning of the discussion in Hebrews 10 about the sacrifice of Jesus for sin. Now again, we could go on and on about this, but the bottom line is the author of Hebrews intentionally subverts the sacrificial elements of the Mosaic Covenant and transitions away from the images of blood and death and writes instead about offerings and purifications and shows us that something entirely new has been revealed in Jesus Christ. A way that does not lead to death and bloodshed and sacrifice, but instead to love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. All right? In Jesus, we learn that God no longer wants death, and he never did.
God only and always wants life. Well, I know there's probably a lot of questions that you might have from this brief explanation of Hebrews 9.22, these 10 points that I provided on why Hebrews 9.22 does not say, does not teach that blood sacrifice is needed to forgive sins. If you have questions, you can leave those with me on Facebook or go over to the blog post about Hebrews 9.22, which talks about this. And you can find that just by searching Google for uh, Hebrews 9.22, Redeeming God. All right, and uh, he, it'll pull it right up for you that way. Um, and uh, if you want to reach out to me on Facebook or Twitter or something, we can have a little discussion about this as well. <laughs> Be nice, though, if you disagree. Uh, last week I had someone call me a wolf and a heretic. Okay, look, that's not going to be helpful. If you disagree, that's okay. We can have a discussion. Provide some exegetical reasons for why you might disagree. Okay? Hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, And again, if you want more research study on this, I encourage you to get one of my books, The Atonement of God or Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, both available on Amazon. (laughs) For the full effect, you can get both. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. And once again, based on what you've heard today, may your life and teaching and theology look more and more like Jesus Christ.